Hello and welcome to the Drabblecast, episode 67. The Drabblecast is a weekly flash fiction podcast that brings strange stories by strange authors to strange listeners, such as yourself. I'm your host, Norm Sherman. Lots happening in the Drabblecast world, but we'll get to all that after this week's stories. First, a bit of Drabble. Drabbles are stories exactly 100 words, a true challenge. Try writing one and send it in to drabblecast at yahoo.com. This week's Drabble is called A Matter of Meditation, written by Michael Young. Al left his modern physics class. He had told friends how much he enjoyed the subject. He said it described how everything around us is made of energy. He entered his next class, Guided Transcendental Meditation. He had joined because of a girl. Eventually, his interest in the class had grown larger than his interest in her. He relaxed and quickly entered a meditative state. His mind dove. He could see atoms spinning around him. He reached out and tried to tweak an atomic nucleus. It felt like he could separate the particles. He tried. The atomic blast could be seen for miles. Our feature story this week is called Malish by Mike Resnick. According to the science fiction news and review magazine Locus Online, Mr. Resnick is the all-time leading short fiction award winner, living or dead. He's got five Hugo Awards to his name and a batch of others. His story, Distant Replay, is in the running for a Hugo Award this year, and you can hear it, along with a slew of other Resnick stories, over at escapepod.org. We'll link to Distant Replay on our show notes. In case you didn't know, the Hugo Awards are a pretty big deal. They're given every year for the best science fiction or fantasy works. Hugo Award nominees and winners are chosen by members of the annual World Science Fiction Convention, which will be held in Denver, Colorado this August. We wish Mike the best of luck. So, without further ado... Malish by Mike Resnick. His name was Malicious, and you can look it up in the American Racing Manual. From ages 2 to 4, he won 5 of his 46 starts, had 7 different owners, and never changed hands for more than $800. His method of running was simple and to the point. He was usually last out of the gate, last in the back stretch, last around the far turn, and last at the finish wire. He didn't have a nickname back then, either. Exterminator may have been Old Bones, and Man of War was Big Red, and of course Equipoise was the Chocolate Soldier. But Malicious was just plain Malicious. Turns out he was pretty well named, after all. It was Santa Anita, February 1935. And this you can't look up in the Racing Manual, or the Daily Racing Forum chart book, or any of the other usual sources, so you're just going to have to take my word for it. Malicious was being rubbed down by Chauncey McGregor, who'd once been a jockey until he got too heavy. He'd latched on as a groomer because he didn't know anything else but the racetrack. Chauncey'd been trying to supplement his income by betting on the races, but he was no better at picking horses than at riding them. He had a passion for claimers who were moving up in class, which any tout will tell you is a quick way to go broke. Old Chauncey. He was getting mighty desperate. And on this particular morning, he'd stopped rubbing Malicious and put him in his stall, and then started trading low whispers with a gnarly little man who had just appeared in the shed row with no visitor's pass or anything. After a couple of minutes, they shook hands, and the gnarly little man pricked Chauncey's thumb with something sharp, and then held it onto a piece of paper. 
Well, Chauncey started winning big that very afternoon, and the next day he hit a 200-1 shot, and the day after that he knocked down a $768 daily double. And because he was a good-hearted man, he spread his money around, made a lot of girls happy, at least temporarily, and even started bringing sugar cubes to the barn with him every morning. Old Malicious. He just loved those sugar cubes, and because he was just a horse, he decided that he loved Chauncey McGregor, too. Then one hot July day that summer, Malicious had now lost 14 in a row since he'd upset a cheap field back in October. Chauncey was rubbing him down at a Hollywood park, adjusting the bandages on his forelegs, and suddenly the gnarly little man appeared inside the stall. It's time, he whispered to Chauncey. Chauncey dropped his sponge under the straw that covered the floor of the stall and just kind of backed away, his eyes so wide they looked like they were going to pop out of his head. But it's only July, he said in a shaky voice. A deal's a deal. But I was supposed to have two years. You've been betting at five tracks with your bookie. You had two years worth of winnings, and now I've come to claim what's mine. Chauncey backed away from the gnarly little man, putting Malicious between them. The little man advanced towards him, and Malicious, who sensed that his source of sugar cubes was in trouble, lashed out with a forefoot and caught the little man right in the middle of the forehead. It was a blow that would have killed most normal men, but as you've probably guessed by now, this wasn't any normal man in the stall with Malicious and Chauncey, and he just sat down hard. You can't keep away from me forever, Chauncey McGregor, he hissed, pointing a bony finger at the groomer. I'll get you for this. He turned to Malicious. I'll get you both for this horse, and you can count on it. And with that, there was a puff of smoke, and suddenly the gnarly little man was gone. Well, the little man, being who he was, didn't have to wait long to catch up with Chauncey. He found him cavorting with fast gamblers and loose women two nights later, and off he took him. And that was the end of Chauncey McGregor. But Malicious was another story. Three times, the gnarly little man tried to approach Malicious in his stall, and three times, Malicious kicked him clear out into the aisle. And finally, the gnarly little man decided to change his tactics, and what he did was wait for Malicious on the far turn with a great big stick in his hand. I got you now, horse! He screamed, but Malicious took off like the devil was after him, which was exactly the case, and won the race by seven lengths. As he was being led to the winner's circle, Malicious looked off to his left, and there was the gnarly little man glaring at him. I'll be waiting for you next time, horse, he promised. And sure enough, he was. And Malicious won that race by nine lengths. And the gnarly little man kept waiting, and Malicious kept moving into high gear every time he hit the far turn. And before long, the crowds fell in love with him. And Joe Hernandez, who called every race in California, became famous for crying, And here comes Malish! Santa Anita started selling Malish t-shirts 30 years before t-shirts became popular, and Hollywood sold Malish coffee mugs. And every time old Malish won, he made the national news. At the end of the seventh year, he even led the Rose Bowl Parade in Pasadena. Don't take my word for it. There was a photo of it in time. By the time he turned eight years old, Malish started slowing down. And the only thing that kept him safe was that the gnarly little man was slowing down too. And one day he came to Malish's stall, and this time he looked more tired than angry. And Malish just stared at him without kicking or biting. Horse, said the gnarly little man. You got more gumption than most people I know. And I'm here to declare a truce. What do you say to that? <laughs> Malish whinnied, and the gnarly little man tossed him a couple of sugar cubes. And that was the last Malish ever did see of him.
He lost his next 11 races, and then they retired him. And the California crowd fell in love with Seabiscuit. And that was that. Except that here and there, now and then, you can still find a couple of old railbirds from the old days who will tell you about old Malish, the horse who ran like Satan himself was chasing him down the home stretch. That's the story. There really was a malicious, and he used to take off on the far turn like nobody's business. And it's all pretty much the truth. Except for the parts that aren't. And there are pretty minor parts at that. Like I said, you can look it up. Well, that was our story. I hope you enjoyed it. This year I had the experience of going to the 133rd Preakness Stakes held in Baltimore, Maryland. I'm not a huge horse racing fan, that is to say I'd never actually been to one, and decided to go to this just because it's such a huge deal here. Just let me tell you, it was not what I expected. If you pay the big bucks for the grandstands, you're surrounded by men dressed up yelling for Big Brown to win and women showing off their big hats. If you pay the relatively smaller bucks to go infield like I did, you're surrounded by frat guys peeing on each other and women showing off their big, uh, hats. It's insane. But I had a good time. I can see why the devil would want to hang out there. In fact, I think I saw him doing a kegger of Miller Lite. So, feedback for episode 63, the robot story Time Shift by Ben Pung. This story generated the most feedback and discussion of any story we've ever had on Drabblecast. Audacitum said, I like this story a lot. Maybe the fact that Murr's voice was on it somehow made it better, but I thought it was generally well written. I like the choice of music, too. It was just well put together. And Zavoy said, I thought this was a terrific story. The direction it took was unexpected yet simple. I like the characters, except Lance, of course, and I thought the shared narration worked very well with this story. The piece sparked an interesting debate about whether AI would be, or dare I say will be, a good thing. Mr. Tweedy summed up the concerns of many by saying, My primary concern with making AI is that AI would almost certainly be used as slaves for humans. Strawman said, I have more faith in AI than the rest of us. I see human intelligence as susceptible to a plague of self-deception, a strong tendency to see what we want to see. Since artificial intelligence is not artificial ego, it might be free of self-deception. If that were so, then we ought to put them in charge of us. Yikes. Well, maybe if they were all Mer Lafferty robots, I'd be okay with that. So, news on the Drabblecast front. We've bumped our meager pay rate for stories to 1.5 cents a word. Still not much by market standards, but it's a step in the right direction. We see our pay rate to authors as a sum of our mission achievement. If we're doing a good job, we expect listener support to increase, which means our production gets better, our pay rate goes up, and we start to entice more authors to submit to us. Last week's story was the first piece the author had ever sold. This week's was by an author who's won the most awards for short fiction ever. We're all about the many different shades of weirdness here, and so we want to attract as many submissions as possible. If you'd like to see the Drabblecast Katamari Ball get bigger and bigger, one new way you can help is to take advantage of the new donation option we have on the website at drabblecast.org, the five bucks a month subscription option. By clicking the link, you can have five bucks donated to Drabblecast automatically every month via PayPal or any major credit card. Not a whole lot, but every bit helps, and we certainly appreciate and are very much in need of your support. Finally, before we wrap this up, we'll be shooting off a sister podcast in the next month or so, Drabblecast B-Sides. This will be a new feed with regular bonus episodes every once in a while. 
These will be so extreme that they'll all have three razors, four aloe strips, and vibrate. That is to say, they won't be for everyone. More of a special, special interest group. We'll start it off with this year's Super Animal Deathmatch competition. More on all this later. Well, that's all for this week. The Drabblecast uses a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you can't change it or sell it, but you can share it all you like. Join our discussion forums at www.drabblecast.org and tell us how you like the story. Our staff is made up of co-editors Kendall Marchman, Luke Coddington, and yours truly, Norm Sherman, reminding you to watch out for the devil's paddle.